going to be in Joshua chapter 6 today, Joshua chapter 6. Uh, been in a, uh, a series entitled uh, Throwing Down the Gauntlet. And uh, really, uh, in the uh, medieval days, uh, a gauntlet was a glove uh, that was metal uh, that uh, if you wanted to challenge somebody to a fight, like if you wanted to challenge Dargets who just rolled in, uh, hey, welcome, Jeff. Good to see you, buddy. And uh, if I wanted to challenge him, I would throw down my gauntlet and my glove in front of him, my metal glove. If he, if he wanted to fight, he'd pick it up. Uh, if he didn't want to fight, he would walk away. And if he walked away, uh, it, was, uh, great, uh, it was great disservice. And uh, he, had to, he had to walk away humble and realizing that he would have been defeated and he'd got to serve me essentially the way it is. Uh, but we're talking about there are times in our lives as men that we need to throw down the gauntlet. And so we're going to look at, uh, look at one of those incidences uh, today in, jo in Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. And so let me open us in prayer. Father God, thank you so much uh, for this day. And uh, God, as we, um, uh, as we as men look to one specific example uh, in, uh, in Scripture, uh, God, let us, um, uh, let us heed uh, the instructions well. Uh, of really that there are times and seasons in our lives that you, uh, uh, you call us uh, to stand against all odds. And so, God, when, when you do that and uh, in those seasons of life, let us be faithfully obedient uh, to do exactly what you tell us to do and then trust you to give us the victory. And so, God, we, uh, we do pray for that. And so, God, as we read your word, I pray that you would add your blessings uh, to, uh, to your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, as you think about um, today's idea of throwing down the gauntlet against all odds, those seasons and times in life when um, what God asks you to do uh, is physically impossible. It doesn't seem like you can do it. Uh, you know, I begin to think uh, the last couple of days, what are some of the greatest upsets that y'all can think about, like in sports, some of the greatest upsets that you can think about in sports. And I actually went to ESPN and they gave a list of some of the greatest upsets. Think of some in your lifetime or, or even back before your lifetime, a greatest upset. Buster Douglas. That was actually number two on the list. But when Buster Douglas back in 1990 uh, knocked out Mike, basically beat Mike Tyson up. Yeah. Villanova over Georgetown. That is uh, what it's on the list here. Hang on just a second. Let me. Number six, according to ESPN, uh, that was back in 1985. What you don't, rem you may or may not remember that, but Villanova, Georgetown was amazing. I mean, they were stacked, stem to stern. Everybody starting for them was going to be drafted in the top, you know, 40 players in the NBA. If you don't realize how good uh, Georgetown was that year. Anybody know what Villanova shot that game? What their shooting percentage was? Their, their overall shooting percentage that game was 75% from the field, all right? And they shot 90% in the second half and they only won by two points. Can you imagine shooting 90% in the second half and only winning by two points? That's how good Georgetown was. I mean, that's how good, flat out good Georgetown was. Somebody else? USA versus Soviet Union. USA, Soviet Union, that's what they considered number one. That's uh, in, the, uh, in the hockey game. Yeah. Was that y'all's? Was that y'all's? Yeah. That's enough Patriot talk. Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Wasn't that the Bills, though? Yeah, yeah. Hey, get your Yankee teams right. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Jesus over death. That's good. That's one of the good ones. Jesus over death, but it did not make the ESPN list. Somebody else, yeah. Joe Namath. All right, 1969, Broadway Joe, that's number five. Beating, uh, defeating uh, uh, Baltimore Colts. Colts, the Jets defeating the Colts. No, other ones, somebody else, guess. Greatest, greatest uh, upsets. Yankees won the World Series. Put that in there with no more Patriots talk. So, uh, that's, there's, no, there's, there were, that, wouldn't, that didn't make a list anywhere. No, let's see. Actually, New York Mets did it, number 12, 1969, the Amazing Mets or the Miracle Mets. What were they called? That was a little further down the list, Chaminade or something like that. Is that what it was? Chaminade beating. That was that was that was a number of years ago. Somebody else, think of them. What do you got? Ali Foreman. Ali Foreman. That didn't make any of the list. Let me tell you what. At least, this is ESPN's list. Okay. Uh, 1980 U.S. Olympic team uh, defeats Russia. The odds of the USA winning that game was 1,000 to one. 1,000 to 1. So if you bet on the Americans, you did quite well. Uh, 1990 was number two. That's Buster Douglas knocks out uh, Mike Tyson. That was 42 to 1 odds. Uh, in 2000, American Rulon Gardner uh, overpowers Alexandria Carolyn in Greco-Roman wrestling. I remember that. I remember that. So uh, 1991, when Duke beat UNLV, now, a lot of y'all are immediately thinking of uh, Christian Leitner's shot. That was not against UNLV. That was against Kentucky, wasn't it? But this was, uh, UNLV was stacked that year. Were they undefeated when Duke beat? I think they were undefeated uh, that year. So that was number four. Number five was number 1969, Joe Namath uh, won. Uh, 1985 was Villanova beat Georgetown by, by shooting 75% from the field for the game, 90% in the second half. 1983, this one hurts personally. Uh, NC State knocked off five slam a jamma uh, in, uh, uh, in the NCAA champion. How many of you remember that? I can still feel it. Both my mom and dad graduated. They were Cougars. They were Cougars. That was a, that was a beating. That's a classic case when a coach plays not to, not to lose that he loses. He, they went into that four corners uh, offense that, uh, that Dean Smith made famous. And boy, Five Slamma Jamma wasn't built to play four corners. They were, they were built to dunk it on you. Uh, 2000, huh? Yeah, that was Valvano. So Jimmy V, he's got the Jimmy V Foundation. That was him. Last second shot that was so far off. The guy just caught it and put it in. I forget his name. Don't care. Uh, let's see. Uh, number eight was uh, 2016. If you, how many of you are big soccer fans? When Leicester City won the Premier League, uh, the odds of that were 5,000 to 1. That was that little bitty city that ended up winning the Premier League. Uh, the, uh, they were not on there. A little further down the list was when... Who not who, who a couple of years ago Seattle Sonics were uh, phenomenal and someone knocked them out like the eight seed beat the uh, uh, one seed I think I think that also happened to the, uh, the Mavericks once uh, let's see Man of War anybody um, remember 1919 let's see Stan you were there you were there 
Man of War got defeated by, uh, uh, that's a horse, by the way. Uh, it's not a fish. Um, let's see. Got, got defeated in upside, Upset, which was 101 odds by, by a horse named Upset. And uh, uh, that's uh, 1919. And then Denver Nuggets. Uh, now here it is, number 10. Denver Nuggets eliminate Seattle C Supersonics uh, in 1994. So that's the top 10. Uh, they had a bunch more. So, you know, there are times that, uh, that the odds are great, amazing. And we all, I kind of like the underdog story. That's why I pulled for the Rams this year, uh, because they were underdogs. They weren't, may, not, maybe not, may not have been in the game, but I just like to see underdogs win. But there are times in our lives that uh, we're the underdog, that, uh, that we in our faith and our walk, uh, God asks us to do something, which is exactly what we're going to see today uh, here in Joshua chapter 6. There are times that God asks us to do something that we aren't physically capable of doing. And when the children of Israel come up to a city after they've crossed into the promised land, the first battle they have to face, the first city they have to face, uh, is a, a city called Jericho. And Jericho is a powerful city. It is a well-fortified city. As a matter of fact, you can go actually pull archaeological doc documents on Jericho where uh, archaeologists for years, like, like so many times happened, says they couldn't find Jericho, couldn't find Jericho. They finally found Jericho. And when they did, they found that uh, at least most of the way around the city, uh, the walls were about 14 foot high and 11 foot wide. Okay, And they had a slope away. And so in other words, a, sl a slope as you're going in the city, a slope away. And then you could stand on that side if you were inside the wall, and you could basically just pummel the people who were trying to overcome you. That was at the lowest point of the wall. Then it got other points. It got higher points where soldiers would stand at different spaces and places. And so for these former slaves to go into the promised land after essentially being nomads for four decades, walking around in the desert, and a new generation, the last thing they were equipped for was a battle. And God told them, I want you to go into the promised land, and the first thing you're going to do is you're going to consecrate yourselves for the battle, but God's going to fight your first battle. And it's a good thing that God fought their first battle because I'll tell you, if you think about, uh, if, if, you, if you read anything about war or see anything about war, in those days, typically, if you were to approach uh, a city like Jericho, uh, the, the first thing that you would do would be to get ready for the long haul because you would basically be committing suicide if you just attacked the walls of the city. They would dump burning objects on you. They would shoot you with arrows. They would throw spears at you. They would kill you with rocks. I mean, ladies could kill you with rocks. But usually what you would do if you were going to come to a place like Jericho is you would just set on a siege. How many of you know what a siege is? And they would just surround the city. And the first thing they would try to do would be cut off the food, cut off the water, and eventually starve them out. So it also, oftentimes, they would try to, uh, you know, they just say, hey, this is going to be a three-month siege or a six-month siege or a 12-month siege, uh, and you would just settle in for the long haul. That's typically what you would do. But God, in this specific instance, gave Joshua some specific commands to overcome the odds, and we're going to talk about those here in a second. And there are times in our lives when we feel like God asks us to do something or calls us to do something that physically isn't possible. And then we say, well, all right, God, so you want me to take on this Jericho in my life. And some of you may have right now a Jericho in your life. There are times that you say, all right, God, it seems like you want me to do this. How do you want me to do it, God? 
And then there are other times that after God has told you to do something that it seems like there's no way you are physically capable of, capable of doing it or achieving it, going to get a job or going to get a promotion or going to do something for God. Then you ask God to give you instructions. And then God gives you from time to time, He doesn't do this all the time, He gives you instructions that are sillier than the odds. And that's essentially what God does here as we read here in a few seconds. We're going to see that God basically said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to consecrate yourself, which means confess your sins, get your heart right, get your life right. And so guys, first thing we need to understand, if God is going to use us, there are times that I can think of in my past, and probably you can, that you have needed a miracle in your life. You have needed God to do something in your life. Maybe it's in your finances, or maybe it's in your health, or maybe it's in a relationship, or maybe it's with your job, or you need to do something that's going to be a miracle on ice type experience for you. But always remember, when you see God um, move, like we're about to see Him move in Joshua chapter 6, that the first thing that God will tell the children of Israel to do is to consecrate themselves. And so let me ask you a question. If you really want to be used by God, when is the last time you stepped back and truly consecrated yourself before God? Where you said, God, what is it in my life that doesn't please you? What is it in my life that doesn't honor you? Was it, what is it in my life that uh, you want me to deal with? Sunday, I talked about self-control. How many of you were in that message? Or did y'all just listen to the Great Dane story? It's interesting to me, and, and Justin actually is the first one that made a joke about this, that, uh, you know, I asked you a couple of weeks ago, what is your greatest weakness, and what do you want me to, want me to teach on the most? The number two thing that our congregation said was our greatest weakness was self-control. And that's just probably us being honest that there's at least one thing in our life. How many of you would say this? Would you just, just in, don't raise your hand, just in your mind. How many of you would say there's at least one thing in my life that, that just seems to get the best of me over and over and over again? So the congregation answered, the number two thing I need is self-control. Then I said, what do you want to work on the most? Guess what was last? Self-control. What does that tell your pastor about you? You're out of control and you like it. That's what it tells me. No, it, it tells us a lot, right? That there are our pet sins, right? There are those things in my life that I have just grown to accept and live with. And I want others to accept them as well as God. I want God to say, that's just who John Mark is. But I want you to know, when we consecrate ourselves, guys, to allow God to do something in our lives, consecration doesn't mean most of my life. It means all of my life. It doesn't mean confessing most of my sins. It means confessing all of my sins. It doesn't mean trying to make up and confess to some of the people in, life, in my life I've offended. It means confessing and asking forgiveness for all the people that I have offended and sinned against. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? So if you are in one of those situations or if you're in a space in your life right now that you really need God to do a miracle in your life, it's against all odds. 
Start by doing what the children of Israel did. You can go back and read Joshua chapter 5 and 4 and 3 and uh, 2 and 1, and you can see that through and through, God says, consecrate yourselves today, for tomorrow God will move in your midst. And so that's my first thought, guys, is, is, is when we think about throwing down the gauntlet, one some of the things that we have to do is we have to sometimes throw down the gauntlet against a secret sin or a sin that always controls us, always slips in, always moves in on our lives. And that is when I've seen God move the most. Now, I want you to know when we come to this, uh, this idea of, uh, of going against the odds, uh, I think a lot of times it's just leadership. I think sometimes it's just leadership. Am I willing to step out with the courage to lead myself, my family, my wife, and my kids to make a certain decision? And, and a lot of times I think if there is a Jericho in your life that seems to be an impenetrable force, um, an unconquerable city or an unconquerable sin in your life, I think a lot of times we don't overcome it because we don't think we can. We don't think within ourselves we have the power to act, to, the power to overcome a certain sin. And I want you to know I understand that. But if you read studies, and I've, I've read these, uh, that the best leaders, the best leaders never wait until they're 100% sure a decision is the right decision. Every, the people who wait until you're 100% sure that a decision you're about to make is the right decision, those are the people who do nothing. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That if you are faced with a significant decision, the best leaders wait until they're about 70% sure, between 70 and 75% sure that it's a right decision and they act. Guess what that also means? Sometimes they fail, right? How many of you understand because they weren't 100% sure? But I think there are a lot of times that, that, that when, when, when people say, man, I'm ready to serve God, but I want to make sure I'm 100% sure this is what God wants me to do before I do anything. Well, let me tell you who those guys are. They are ones that are worthless to God's kingdom. I want you to know that. If you think, I think God wants me to serve in the youth ministry. I think God wants me to start doing this for Him. I think God wants me to do, and I feel that's, that at least there's a percentage of chance, 70 75%, and they step out. Those are the ones I believe that God uses the most. But I will tell you, when it comes to this decision, and there are also times in our lives that we will find ourselves just like Joshua, that they in and of themselves were not capable of overthrowing Jericho. And they certainly were not over, capable over, of overthrowing Jericho the way God gave it into their hands. Sure, could they have read some manuals or Joshua could have called somebody who was in another tribe, hey, listen, if I'm going to hold up a siege, and to our knowledge, the Israelites had never done a siege on a, on a, on a fortified city like they had before. So they had, had gone to somebody, some neighbor, and say, hey, listen, if I wanted to throw over, uh, overthrow Je uh, Jericho, how would I do it? Somebody would say, well, you don't want to go over the walls, you're going to get killed. So you're going to have to set up a siege. And my guess is Joshua would have said, what's a siege? He goes, well, you're going to have to surround the city, make sure no one gets in or out, because you don't want them running to their neighbors over next to them. He goes, you've got to make sure no one gets in or out. You've got to stop all the water. You've got to stop all the food, and you just got to wait them out. And, and my guess is, I guess conceivably in their mind, the children of Israel could have done that. 
But God gave them a different plan, a completely different plan. And there are times that God in your life, I will tell you there have been times in my life where God has given us a different plan. I will tell you we are where we are today as a church because God gave us a different plan. For those who were here and or at least heard the story, we were getting ready as a church to build a worship center over on Highway 5. We were First Baptist Church Fairview. We designed a worship center, a little bitty worship center. We raised money. We gave money, and we had money in the bank. Then I go to the city, uh, the town of Fairview, the town of Fairview. The next night, we actually had a, a bulldozer out there, and we had a groundbreaking. I got a picture of it in my office that we were going to the next week start building a worship center right over there. We go into the town, the town, we are the only thing on the docket at that point back in 2000, 1999, the town of Fairview didn't have much on their docket. We were the only thing on their docket just to approve, and it said approve worship center, First Baptist Fairview. And we started the meeting, they went into executive session, they came out, they changed the plan. And we walked out. And how we got from over there to over here doing what God is doing now is nothing short of a miracle of God. That's why I've never written a pastoral leadership book because let me tell you what, if I'd have told the true story, I'd have said I was scared to death, I was an idiot, I was planning to build over there, God wanted me to build over here. I don't know why I didn't figure it out earlier. I mean, that's not the kind of book you want to sell, right? All I did was follow God's direction after He made it clear that wasn't the plan. And for some of us in our lives, God has been telling you for a season or for a while that what you're doing is not the plan. That God has a different plan. And in that different plan, God has given you different instructions. And some of you, you've heard God's plan, but you want to do God's plan your way. And God says, no, I want you to do my plan my way. And so I want you to first of all begin to think, what do you think God's plan is for your life? I believe in here, everybody in this, in this room, God has a significant plan for your life. I truly believe that. And there are times now that you know God's plan, if you know God's plan for your life, there are times that God says, hey, I'm going to let you work with me to develop that plan, the planned actions, right? There are other times that God says, no, it's going to start with a massive step of faith on your part. And so I don't know where you are in that season. When we come to Joshua chapter 6, when we come to the idea of overthrowing Jericho, guys, there are times that as men, God created us to do something. And that's exactly where the children of Israel are. Now, when we see this, you're going to see that there's really not much that the children of Israel do through six-sevenths of the plan. Pretty easy plan. But once we get to the seventh step of the plan, once God does His part, then the children of Israel have to do their part. And so that's the next thing I want us to see is, God, there are times that God will move on your behalf and we stand there and do nothing. There is never a time in your life or my life that God will move on our behalf that we aren't supposed to follow God's activity with our own activity. And my guess is there have been times in your life where God has moved in your life. God has taken down the walls of Jericho and you followed it with no action on your own. 
And so as we look through this story, I want you to think about who you are, where you are, how faithful we are. When we look back on a story like Jericho, and I want you to know, we're going to read in here that uh, basically uh, Joshua, after they tear down the walls of Jericho and overthrow the city, that, God, that, um, that Joshua, by God's prompting, pronounces a curse on Jericho. And he says, cursed is the man who ever rebuilds Jericho. You can go over to 1 Kings right around Ahab and Jezebel and you can see that someone, a man, tries to rebuild the city of Jericho and it cost him his firstborn and his lastborn. So you can go look at that in 1 Kings later. So the idea is if God overthrows your Jericho or, or, or your issue in your life and God looks at you and says, don't rebuild there, guys, don't rebuild there. And so let's look. Let's pick it up. And I want, to, I want us to notice a couple of things. And as we begin to journey through, I'm going to share a couple of quotes with you. Uh, I love one from J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer says, For the man of God, wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. But sometimes you just have to beat the odds. Sometimes you just have to beat the odds. And so let's pick it up. And, you know, odds, let me give you a quick definition. If you go to the Webster or something, um, odds, if you look at the definition, it says a human measurement for accomplishing a victory. A human measure for accomplishing a victory. And that's really what it means to be an odd. What is the likelihood that the children of Israel are going to throw Jericho, overthrow Jericho? Probably 100 to 1, 1,000 to 1, 2,000 to 1, 5,000 to 1. They had never done it. And the people of Jericho had probably been fending off uh, attackers for a long, long time. But now they're in a space, in a place where they've got to overthrow it. So let's pick it up and start reading. And let's look at verse 1. Notice what it says. We've got to sometimes assess the odds. Here's what it says in verse 1, Joshua chapter 6. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And as you think about it, we'll just stop right there. The, the, the people of Jericho knew that the children of Israel were serious. They had been pre prepping and preparing. They had probably been through siege after siege, but they've never seen one that they're about to see. And so the children of Israel are standing there looking at a walled city where the gates have been closed in that no one can go in and no one can come out. It's impenetrable. It's, uh, it's against the odds. Now let's jump down and notice what we see next. And you pick it up in verse 2. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and all of its fighting men. All right? So you go, okay, great. There's an impenetrable force. There's a wall that's going to keep me out. God has said He is going to give this city into my hands. Great, right? So notice God's plan, all right? God's plan is not man's plan, all right? This is not something uh, that Eisenhower would have drawn up on a map, all right? This is absolutely God's plan. Here's what it says in verse 3. He says, I want you to march around the city once with all of your armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets in front of the ark. Now, let me just stop. If you don't, if you don't know what the ark is, uh, the ark is a box that they had created that was uh, uh, covered in gold. 
Uh, inside the ark would be the Ten Commandments, the two stone tablets. Uh, would also be Aaron's rod that God used, and it budded. Uh, God, uh, God used Aaron's rod in there. Also in there was a gold bowl with some manna in it. Then on top of what was referred to the mercy seat, all right? And the mercy seat, it would be carried around. It would be placed in the tabernacle. The high priest could only go in there once a year. And he would sacrifice, and he would basically, on the mercy seat, he would sprinkle blood of a sacrificial perfect lamb to a symbolic pointing to the New Testament. Then when the children of Israel got out of the tabernacle, eventually built a temple, they put the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Tabernacle, there in the temple. And the same thing happened. The high priest only run in once a year. And they tied a rope to his leg because he was sinful. God zapped him right there. And when they noticed the rope, you ever been fishing and there ain't nothing tugging? All right, so that's how they knew that the high priest died in there, that God had killed him because of sin in his life. When the rope stopped moving, they just drugged that sucker out, all right? Let me tell you what, there were times you really didn't want to be the high priest. How many of you know what I'm talking about? One sin in your life, you're done, all right? And then all your buddies are talking about, I wonder what he did, right? And so that's the ark that there, he says, I want you to get the ark. Because I want you to march the ark in front of you. Behind that, I want seven priests. I want those priests holding trumpets. I want them blowing the trumpets. And behind that, get your armed men. But you're not going to attack the wall. You're just going to walk around in a circle. How many of you think that's a great plan? That's pretty much a bad plan, right? I mean, shouldn't we at least start tunneling under the wall? Shouldn't we throw rocks over the wall? Shouldn't we get our quickest people... And at least have them run up to the wall and dodge the rocks and the arrows and spears. So at least we're getting ammunition thrown at us, right? But we want to send our short guys or our, our not-so-good guys. So we're at least emptying their ammunition and they're not killing us. But notice what it says. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, verse 2, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and all of its fighting men. He says, You're going to march around the city with all your armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry, and I'm in verse 4, have carry trumpets in front of the ark. On the seventh day, you're going to march around the city seven times with all the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear, them, hear the sound of the long blast of the trumpets on that seventh day, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, go up and everyone will go straight in. Now, that's pretty much... An impossible plan. From an earthly perspective, that makes no sense. That doesn't seem to be going to do anything. I'm going to march around for six days, one circle, one circle, and seventh day, seven circles around. Then I'm going to blow the trumpets, and we're going to scream, and the walls are going to fall down, and then we're going to go in and take this city. And I can only imagine Joshua going back to his generals and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. And he draws it up, and can you imagine somebody like Justin, like it happens every time I draw up a plan. Justin goes, really, that's your plan? That's what I get from Justin all the time. So that's what you got. All right. Let us die together. But this, this plan isn't good. It's an impenetrable wall. It's an impossible plan. But nothing is impossible with God. Anybody ever heard that before? It's beautiful. You go over to the Hebrews... Uh, chapter 11, which is called the Hall of Faith. This is one of the incidences that's thrown in there. there. There are a bunch of guys in the Hall of Faith that if you and I were choosing a Hall of Faith, that we wouldn't have put a couple of those guys in there. We'd have said Samson's pretty powerful, but good gosh, his life was a train wreck, right? But God put him in the Hall of Faith. 
This is one of those incidences. What is the key to the hall of faith and getting in the hall of faith? It's having faith. See, because the truth is, if you think of this plan, this plan is not a plan that's going to succeed without faith in God. Now, if you want to draw a direct analogy, the best analogy and the closest analogy to that is also our salvation, guys, is that there is nothing about this plan that is going to throw those walls down, that's going to tear those walls down. The only thing that's going to make it happen is faith in God. In the same way with our faith, with our salvation, there are some of us who... who who we understand faith, but we think, well, i got to add some energy and i got to add some effort. And I want you to know when it comes to your salvation and my salvation, there is no work I can do to complete my salvation. Man, my sinfulness has separated me from a holy and righteous God. And there is nothing about me that can do one thing to make up for one of my sins. See, and that's where we come back to the Ark of the Covenant, which ultimately has the, bears the mercy seat that there has to be a Lamb of God that sprinkles blood once a year and for you and me once in our lifetime over all of our sins. And so as we think about the faith that is required to overthrow Jericho, as we're going to read on here in a second, guys, some of you, I want, I want to know, have you ever come to that place in your life where you've stopped trusting yourself to be good enough to earn your salvation, where you've stopped trusting yourself to have done enough to pay for the forgiveness of your sins. You can't do enough. You, you will never be able, when it comes to your sin, and I will never be able, when it comes to my sin, to say what Jesus did on the cross just before he died. It is finished. See, he's the only one that can pay for our sins. He's the only one that could pay for your sins. He's the only one that could pay for my sins. He's the only one that could hang on the cross, delivered there by the hands of sinful men, having first been offered by a holy and righteous God because He loves you and He loves me. That when Jesus is the only perfect lamb, basically shed His blood on the mercy seat of God on the cross, when He stood up there, when He hung on the cross and said, It is finished, He's the only one that can say that. And so to get salvation and gain forgiveness of sins, the only way is that we have faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And when we do that, the, fall, the, the walls of our sin fall down. And only by faith can we enter into God's presence. And so as you think about this impossible thing, the first impossible thing we need to think about is our salvation. We can't add anything to our salvation. It is all of God. Now, now like Joshua, there are times that people, they question God's plan. Anybody ever, all right, God, so why did you have to do it that way? I've heard people say, uh, is that my cue to be done? So I was kidding you, I was kidding you. Uh, that uh, you know, there are times that people say, well, why did God do it that way? Hey, I, I don't really know. But I do know from Genesis all the way to Revelation, God showed us that was the plan. He started teaching the children of Israel all right here, all the way back in the Old Testament. You're going to have to sacrifice a sacrificial lamb. That lamb's blood will have to be spread on the mercy seat. 
That is symbolic of an ultimate forgiveness that will take place. Then you go into the New Testament. John the Baptist looks up at Jesus and says what? Behold, the Lamb of God. Everybody went, Lamb of God? That takes away the sins of the world, right? It's from Genesis to Revelation. God said, this is my plan. If you don't like the plan, you will never be saved. If you think I'm going to go on my own way, I'm going to do my own plan, I'm going to journey down my own road, you will never be saved. You will be locked out of heaven with all of your good works and your pile of good works, which Scripture says they are nothing but filthy rags. And so when we come to a place like Jericho, we also need to think about our sins and our salvation. That the only way to be saved, it's not join a church, it's not to be baptized. Let me tell you what. After you're saved, the first thing you saw them do basically in the New Testament is be baptized and join a church. So I'm not against that. I pastor one, if y'all haven't noticed. I'm a big fan of churches. And I'm a real big fan of this church, okay? But I want you to know, those are not for our salvation. They are because of our salvation. And so God has given clear instructions. Now, Joshua could have looked at God's instructions and said, You know what, God? Those are good instructions, but really, I've read up on this whole war thing. The best way to overthrow a city like Jericho is we've got to lay siege to it. Guess what God would have done? He said, Well, have at it. Right? And they would have still been laying siege, and they would have never overthrown the city. My guess is there might be some guys in here that against all the odds, you are trying to lay siege against your sin. And God's saying, have at it. I don't know why you would, but go ahead, have at it. Because God said, I've already torn down the wall. I've already done the work for you. I sent my precious son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life, to die on the cross, to be buried again, to rise again the third day. And all you have to do is have faith. And so, guys, when it comes to a time like this, when we think about against all odds, God's already given the plan. And if there's someone in this room, you have been trying to, with your own good works, lay siege to your own sin, I'm going to encourage you to stop it. Just have faith in Jesus Christ and let God tear the walls down, which He's already done 2,000 years ago. And if you miss the message in that of Jericho, of salvation, if you miss anything else I say about what you do, I pray that you hear that God has already torn down the walls. Don't lay siege against something, your sin, with good works that God has already taken care of because you will miss it by a mile when others are freely walking in. And so God gives them this impossible plan. Let's jump down and notice how the tables are turned on the odds. That We, we start with a word called faith. Look at it. Pick it up in verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord um, uh, and have seven priests carrying trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army uh, to advance March around the city with all the armed guards and all the trumpets and all the priests and the ark of the Lord. Now notice what he did. He had faith. All right, God, that's your plan. I'm going to have faith. So I'm going to communicate it to the other people. We're going to line it up just how you want us to line it up. And we're going to have faith. And then after faith comes something called obedience. Obedience isn't a bad word, God. Guys, it's, it's just doing what God wants you to do. 
And I will promise you, obedience to God is not a bad thing. Anybody, uh, if you have kids, anybody ever looked at your kids and really tried to tell them, listen, this is good for you in the long run? And they always look at you and give you this, what? Right? Guys, after you have faith in Christ and you've received salvation, the best thing you can do is walk in obedience because that's where victory comes. That's where victory comes, is when we say, God, what do you want me to do? And, and, and by the way, you don't have to have a mystical prayer life to figure out what God wants you to do because most of it's written down right in His Word, right? If we just read the Word, go read a, go read a pastoral epistle. Go read a general epistle in the New Testament. Go read uh, the book of John and see what Jesus did and then just do what Jesus did. All of those things are good. You saw that he was baptized. He hung out with his disciples. He, he gave as much good to as many people as possible, not for his salvation. He was Jesus. But because of your salvation, just walk in obedience. And so that's exactly what he did. Now, uh, jump, uh, jump down to verse 8. It says, When Joshua had spoken to all the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumps uh, before the Lord uh, went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them, and the armed uh, guard marched ahead of them and the priest and blew their trumpets and uh, the rear guard and the ark. And all the time the trumpets were sounding. And look at verse 10. But Joshua had commanded the army, don't give a war cry yet. So the trumpets were blown. The people were walking. Everybody was in obedience. But don't give the war cry yet. Do not raise your voices and do not say a word until the day I tell you. It says, so the, listen to this verse 11. It says, so he had the ark of the Lord carried. It says he had the ark of the Lord carried. Good grief. It's bad news about doing an iPad. He said, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. And the army returned to the camp and then spent the night. Can you imagine the general saying, so that's all we're going to do today. We're just going to walk around one time. We're going to blow some trumpets. No one's going to do it. Joshua said, yeah, that's pretty much what we're going to do. So now as you jump down, so Joshua got up early the next morning. What does he do? He has faith. And he has obedience, putting the two together. The priest took up the ark. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. Uh, then the armed guards went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed behind them while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, what did they do? They just walked in obedience. They marched around the city once, returned to their camp. They did this for six days. Now, there are times in our lives, guys, that God gives us the plan Against all odds, He wants us to have faith and then marry obedience to our faith. And then God just lets us from time to time demonstrate our obedience to Him. My guess is there are a lot of guys in this room, and I've been here, guys. Y'all know me enough as your pastor that anything I'm telling you about, I know it's true in your life because I know it was true in my life a thousand times over. How many times... Have we begged God to do something in our life? We have faith that God can do something. He gives us the plan, and we obey it for one day. Am I the only guy that's ever done that? Or I've obeyed this plan for two days. Or I've obeyed His plan for three days. Or I've obeyed His plan for four days. In faithless futility, I just quit. Guys, I want to encourage you. Listen. The victory is following faith with obedience and obedience that is consistent and a consistent obedience that lasts and that consistent obedience that started with faith will ultimately lead you and me to victory if we won't quit. I will guarantee you there were those in Joshua's camp that grumbled 
So we got to do the same thing we did yesterday today. I guarantee you I feel that way a lot as a pastor. God, I'm really ready for a miracle. That'd be cool because this is kind of ho-hum. It's great to talk about when God relocated us, but a lot of life is ho-hum. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We want to go from miracle to miracle to miracle, and sometimes God says, just give me some obedience, 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 because I want you to be prepared for the next miracle I bring in your life. And so now, as we jump down, it says, uh, verse 14, so on the second day, this is the same thing. They did this for seven days, six days. Now jump at verse 15. On the seventh day, this was the good day. They got up at daybreak. They marched around the city seven times. This is obedience in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. So one, two, three, four, five, six. All right. Now, can you imagine what the Jericho people? Now, you know, the soldiers were on the wall. They were on the watchman's faces. They were looking down on them. The first day, they said they marched around. They blew some trumpets. They went back. And my guess is the guys were like, that's pretty much what you got. Second day, one circle. Third day, one circle. Fourth day, one circle. Fifth day, one circle. Sixth day, one circle. Seventh day, six circles are good. And they're going one, two, three, four, five, six. It's obedience. See, let me tell you what. There is nothing about this plan other than their obedience that gave them the victory. It was God's plan all the time. Could God have, have knocked down the walls without a circle? Absolutely. There are certain things that God could do in your life without your obedience. But God wants your obedience before He provides the miracles. And sometimes God lets you, lets you journey through obedience for a number of days. And how many times have you and I quit before God has promised us the miracle? And I see that a lot in guys' lives. I, can, I guarantee you I can see it in my life over and over again in the path that God has given me and clear instructions on what to do, and, and I've stopped doing them. And I've never seen the victory. And then there are times that I've prayed to God, God, what, what do you want me to do? He goes, I want you to finish doing what I told you to do. And then I go back in my life and do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and I see the victory, and I see the miracle. So God, guys, don't stop. So they walked around seven times. Then verse 16, the seventh time around when the priest sounded the trumpet and the blast, Joshua commanded the army, now is time to shout, for the Lord has given the city into your hands. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to God. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her and her household shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent in earlier. Now look, verse 18, but keep away from the devoted things so they will not bring those things about, they will not bring destruction about you and take it on any time. Otherwise, um, otherwise, you will make the camp of the Israelites liable to destruction if you bring dr trouble on it and into the tent. Look at verse 19. All the silver and gold and all of the articles of wine and bronze and all the iron uh, are sacred to the Lord and must go. And if you read the rest of the story, the walls fell, the children of Israel went in, they did exactly what God said. They did what? They basically dedicated everything to God. They said it was all desecrated. They saved Rahab and our family. Now, what are some principles in your life and mind? One, if you want God to do something great in your life, you're going to have to have faith. You're going to have to have faith that God's going to do something great in your life, whether it's in your marriage, in your work, in your finances, in your life. Number two, your faith always has to be accompanied by obedience. What has God told you to do? If you want the victory, 
by faith. What has God told you to do that you're not doing? Has God talked to you over and over again about serving somewhere in the church, about getting connected in a men's ministry, about doing something, about leading something? Has God told you faith always requires obedience to God's plan and God's way? Third thing, when God gives you the victory, has He told you to do something with the spoils of victory? Has God told you to do something with the spoils of victory? If God has told you to do something with the spoils of victory, do it. Don't destroy your household. Don't destroy yourself. I guarantee you, I know, I know a number of people who have promised God amazing things if He would make their business successful or them financially successful, and they have made amazing promises to God of what they would do if God made their business successful, and then once they're successful, they become selfish and it destroys them. So you have to have faith and obedience. Then you have to do with the spoils of God's victory in your life what God tells you to do. As a matter of fact, if you go one chapter over, a little bitty town named Ai, two letters, Ai. That's a great name. That's how you pronounce that word, Ai, Ai. If Jericho was the big 6A school district, Ai was the 1A seven-man football team. But you can go look, there was a man named Achan in the camp that stole some of the stuff. And the children of Israel are defeated because of sin in a man's life. Guys, that's the next lesson, last lesson I want to share today. What sin are you hiding in your life that God wants you to give up? That is bringing destruction on you and your family and your job and your finances? Don't let it happen to you. I want to invite us just to bow our heads here. God, thank you so much today for the new guys that were here today. God, as we think about Jericho and Joshua and against all odds, God, first of all, I pray that some men in here, if they need it, they would see that salvation is only by faith. It's not by works. But then all of us in here, including me as the pastor, God, a, a pastor that fails, that struggles, I pray that I would be a pastor that lives by faith, that walks with obedience, that leads others to do the same. God, when you give me the victory, never let me become selfish and sinful. Never let me take things that I promise to you and hold them back from you, but instead be faithful to give them back to you and give you all the praise. And God, if there's a man in, their life, in, in his life right now who has a secret and hidden sin that he knows will ultimately bring destruction someday on his family and those he loves. God, I pray that this would be the day that they would confess it and walk away from it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Y'all have a great day. I always enjoy sharing this morning with y'all.